Second Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. I've done something a little different with the text reading this morning in that I am reading from an expanded translation rather than the King James text. It's based on the King James text, but I have expanded it somewhat relative to the grammar that's there. It's not an extensive expansion, but one that will maybe give us a little better understanding of the general text before we begin to explore it in a way of application today. It says it's a TSW expanded translation. The TSW stands for Troy as Welch, but it's based on the Greek grammar. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth now, by the means of the same word, keep on being, as a matter of principle, having been stored up, with the result they continue as a matter of principle, to be reserved for fire into the day of judgment and utter destruction of men who disregard the person of God. But those of you who are loved with a self-sacrificial love, stop allowing this one thing to be concealed from you. That one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not continually slow concerning the promise as some men continually consider slowness but keeps on having long patience unto you. As a matter of principle, not purposing that any should make it their purpose to perish, but that all should make it their purpose to come into a change of purpose. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, in which the heavens will participate in their own passing away with a rushing sound, and the elements will be dissolved, being caused to burn up with great heat, and the earth and the works in it will be dissolved or discovered. Thus, all these things, as a matter of principle, being currently caused to dissolve, what sort of person must you continually purpose to be in all holy behavior and with an attitude that does that which is well-pleasing to God. Waiting as a matter of principle and desiring earnestly the presence of the day, the one of God, on account of which the heavens being set on fire will be dissolved and the elements will be melted, being caused to burn. But according to the norms and standards of the promise of Him, we await with expectation heavens new in nature and earth new in nature, in the sphere of which continually dwells that which is in conformity to the specifications of the blueprint. 
Wherefore, you who are loved self-sacrificially as a matter of principle, awaiting with expectations these things, be diligent, making it your purpose to be found by him in the sphere of peace, spotless and unblemished. And consider the long-suffering of our Lord, salvation, even as indeed our beloved brother Paul, according to the Norman standard of the wisdom given as a matter of principle unto him, wrote in various points of time to you. As also in the sphere of all these his epistles, speaking as a matter of principle in the sphere of them, concerning these things in which keep on being some things hard to understand which the unlearned and the unstabilized torture by twisting as also the remaining scriptures to their own loss of well-being. You, therefore, who are loved with a self-sacrificial love, having gained this knowledge previously, participate in guarding yourselves, lest being led away by the error of the lawless you fall from your own stability, but grow in the sphere of grace and knowledge from the source of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him belongs the glory both now and into the day of the age. As we have seen over the past year, in this overview of Bible prophecy, there's an explanation to what is going on in our world today in the current affairs, and that God has a plan to bring all of these things to a very definitely designed conclusion. God's foreknowledge of what was going to occur equipped him then to determine his own plan. And God's love motivated him to reveal that plan to us in order that we might have peace in the midst of ongoing spiritual warfare, we might experience the peace of God. Having skipped to the back of the book as we have in going to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and having taken a peek at the end of these things, we just might be tempted to sit back and watch God at work and see it happen. But the revelation of God's plan was designed to do more than enable us to rest in faith his plan and the revealing of His plan was designed to motivate you and I into spiritual service and into recognition of why we're here and what our everyday activities should include. Now that we know what God is going to do, having read what He has revealed to us in His prophecy, we can better understand then what we as believers are to be doing in our day-by-day activity. Throughout our study, we've emphasized that as church-age believers, we've been identified by the word sojourner. 
That is, we are foreigners not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals in order to represent our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, and to represent Him and do the business that He has established that we were to be about. Through our gifting and our individual and personal day-by-day circumstances, God has given us the opportunity to minister for Him. Nothing in our lives is a result of chance, but all things, everything that occurs is a result of what we would identify as cause and effect. God has assigned every believer with a specific and unique mission, with individualized spiritual enablement and in setting those divine appointments for us in order that we might accomplish our mission that's been given to us. Now, all of the circumstances that we encounter then in our daily walk of life, in society and the things that are occurring in society are the result of cause and effect. We might debate the cause, but we can certainly see the effect. God in his foreknowledge manipulates circumstances and provides each of us opportunity for ministry from the very subtle to the very obvious in our daily walk of life. This would be a totally different world if every believer understood that reality that God is working His plan and each of us have a responsibility and a position in it. It would be a different world because if we understood that and then we responded positively to it, we would see a different effect than we now are able to visit upon the earth. Now, this doesn't mean that we're all to become street preachers or that we are to present the plan of salvation to every individual that we come in contact with day by day. No, we must always remember that we have our own spiritual roles and the body of Christ is designed uh, to reflect to you and to me our various roles that we are to carry out as we represent that body of Christ in the world today. We must be ever mindful that there are nine spiritual gifts that are operative throughout the church age and that every born-again child of God has at least one of those. It's tragic that the Christian world today does not comprehend the fullness of God's description as to our role and our ministry. And we are not alert and open day by day as we go throughout our activities to see those divine appointments that he sets up. As a matter of fact, they become the unusual if we have 
something that we reflect on it's out of the ordinary instead of recognizing the many more mundane responsibilities that are assigned to us. Few believers in the church age could identify the nine spiritual gifts that are operative throughout the church age, let alone identify their own and know then their role and how to respond to the various circumstances that we encounter every day. Let me remind you of the gifts, one of which you have a possibility of a combination of those uh, more likely than just a single gift. There is the gift of administration. There is the gift of teaching. There is the gift of exhortation. There is the gift of service. There is the gift of word of knowledge. There is the gift of the word of wisdom. There is the gift of mercy. There is the gift of helps. And there is the gift of giving. Within those nine gifts, we find our role and our ministry in the body of Christ and our response to the circumstances that we are encountering in society and our family life as it relates to social activity and certainly then as it relates to the church. So follow with me today as we go back to Second Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 7 and working our way through verse 18 to look at First of all, the principles that we find in this passage. And then secondly, that we might look at the application that we find to what is written here. So there are a variety of doctrinal principles that are identified in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. And I thought it beneficial for us to do a brief summary of those doctrinal principles and then look at the applicational principles to this passage. We must note that God did not purpose in His plan that all would be saved. Now be careful. Hear me through. God did not purpose that all would be saved. But what God did purpose was that all could be saved. Don't miss that that statement and just lock on to the first one. God has purposed a plan by which every human being that lives upon the face of the earth could have salvation, have eternal life, be part of the kingdom of God. But because He created us in His image, He gave us free will and He gives us the choice. If God had purposed that everyone would be saved apart from their free will, then it would be a totally different result. But because we were created in His image, in His likeness, We have choice, and with that choice, the first man, Adam, and his wife, Eve, 
violated the statute that God had established. The, the only thou shalt not, he gave them a few thou shalts, but the only thou shalt not that he gave them, they violated. And as a result, died spiritually. And while they had the ability then to propagate human life, physical life, the soul life, they lacked the ability then to propagate spiritual life. And so there is a need as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, there is a need for our being born again. For a spiritual birth, we're only body and soul when we come into the world. And to understand the things of God, who is spirit, they are spiritually discerned. So we must be born again. We must be born of the spirit of God. We are born with a natural disposition as a result of the propagation of life from Adam and Eve in their defect. We are born birth defective, but God has devised a plan so that whosoever will can come. Secondly, we need to note that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again at the appointed hour and He's going to establish at that time His millennial kingdom and then at the end of that thousand year reign when all the prophecies have been fulfilled, this earth, this present planet will be destroyed and man will be judged and assigned to his eternal destiny at that point. Those who profess faith in Christ to life eternal and those who reject Christ then will go to the lake of fire and brimstone. We have a mission because of that basic principle that Jesus is coming again. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. And they were promised by Jesus Christ Himself. And they were documented by the prophets long before the time of Christ. And then as the book of Revelation uh, ties it all together, we understand then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Righteousness will be established and will be comfortably at home in the eternal kingdom. In the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no sin. There will be no rebellion. In the sphere of the present heavens and present earth, the three aspects of God's will can be seen day by day. God has a directive will. He has a permissive will. And He has an overruling will. He gives us some latitude, having given us His direction with our free will. He allows us then to make choices and then there are times when he steps in with his overruling will and says, N-O, no, you're not going there. And as a result then, we are protected that way. 
So throughout life here upon the earth, we day by day should be aware of God's directive will, that is, the plan of God and what He has determined for us, and the Word of God is our guide to that. And then we must be alert to our permissive will, that He permits us to walk according to His Word, but He also permits us frequently to walk outside the Word, outside of the guidelines that He has established. But praise God, there are, for our own protection, there are times when the overruling will of God sets in. So as we live life on the earth day by day, we need to be aware of the directive will of God, the permissive will of God, and the overruling will of God. And of course, it would be better for us to walk day by day under the directive will of God, but we do have that tolerance. But I frequently ask God to take away the permissive will because I'm faulty and I might make the wrong choice. Don't give me that choice. But then God reminds me I'm a grasshopper and I wasn't around when he laid the foundations of the earth and uh, uh, he has created us this way. But the overruling will of God steps in to deliver us sometimes. Well, in eternity, I can only see the overruling will of God operating. So while in this earth, the directive and permissive wills are allowed in eternity his overruling will will eliminate the presence of evil and uh, unrighteousness so because of this according to the principles of what we've seen in the text peter raises the question what sort of persons should we be another doctrinal principle that we find here within this text is that although God is going to destroy these heavens and this earth, He has made provision for those who are in the sphere of His love, that is, those who have accepted His offer of grace by personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now because these heavens and this earth are going to be destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth is going to be brought into existence, there are some things that we should attend to today. First of all, there should be an eager anticipation of the fulfillment of these events. Yes, we are to look forward to this great event with anticipation. Going through the book of Revelation, in a former pastorate in Monrovia, California, the lady who played our organ told me she would not be back until I was through with that study. She had no interest, nor did she want to hear about the things that were there. She said, I want to live to be a grandmother and a great-grandmother. I don't want to live in anticipation of the coming of Christ and not see my grandkids and not see my great-grandkids. Well, of course, that indicates that there's some nearsightedness concerning the plan of God and submission to the purpose of God. 
But she was true to her word and would not come to hear those things preached. We need to have an eager anticipation. Not so that we become so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. But so that we become functional as a part of the body of Christ because of the eager anticipation and understanding He is coming again and He has given us the work of reconciling the world to Him. We are to operate day by day in the sphere of God's provision of peace. Peace with God can only be established on an individual and personal basis as we align ourselves in submission to the provision of salvation and then we can seek the guidance day by day. We can have peace with God. As a result, though, of knowing the plan of God and understanding the provision of God, we can have day-by-day peace from God. A peace of God in our lives, ministering to us day by day. So while we should have an eager anticipation In the midst of that, it should operate with the peace from God and the peace with God and then having the peace of God and His promises as we go day by day. We are, however, commanded to be found spotless and unblemished. The word spotless comes from the Greek word aspholoi, And it means no personal sin in our lives. We are to maintain fellowship with God. Now because we do have an old sin nature, we do tend to walk contrary to the will and the plan of God. We're given some guidelines then in 1 John 1, 9, how we can clean up our walk and how we can uh, maintain uh, that uh, spotlessness. But he adds to it not just spotless, but unblemished. Unblemished identifies a birth defect. The sacrifices that the children of Israel were to offer each day were to teach them concerning the provision of grace and the plan of God. And... uh, The lamb was to be without spot or without blemish. It could not have a birth defect and be acceptable. And it could not have had an injury and be acceptable. We are born birth defective. We're born physically alive. We have a body and a soul, but no spirit. And we mentioned already this this morning that we must be born again. We must experience that new birth in order that we are no longer birth defective, but we have body, soul, and spirit. When we receive Christ as our personal Savior, we have the imputation of His perfect righteousness credited to our account. And because He has given us the Holy Spirit 
and lives within us, we are able then to maintain that style of life that he has designed for us in his word. So the provision of God is that we are to be spotless and unblemished. We also note that in this passage we understand that having become citizens of the kingdom of God, we look forward then to the replacement of these heavens and this earth. And we've been left, however, here on earth as sojourners, as foreigners, living alongside the citizens of the world in order to do the business for the kingdom of God. And as we wait for these prophetic events to occur, we operate day by day in the sphere of peace, maintaining spotlessness, being sustained through the, the absence of any birth defect. We are now able to live a productive life for Him. But it must be a matter of choice. So while these doctrinal truths are found here in this text in, in Second Peter, we need to pinpoint then the principles of application to our lives. We should not be taken in, Peter said, by the scoffers who try to convince us that Christ is ignoring His promise and uh, since the world began, things remain the same and so surely He is not coming again. Those who project that operate in the environment of their own lust pattern. They attempt to convince you that nothing has changed from the creation, or as they would say, the evolution of the world, and they have chosen to ignore basic facts that have been established. Not only did God destroy the creation of his original creation by the flood in the days of Noah, but he at that time stored up fire in the center of the earth for a future destruction. Science has validated that to be true. And so we need to stop allowing this reality to be concealed from us. We need to be patient. God operates uh, on a totally different timetable than we do. I'm sure you're reminded of that day by day as am I. God's timetable is what we must operate on. The Lord has a purpose, of course, in delaying His coming. And part of that purpose is given to us in our text in verse 9. He's not willing that any should perish. He hasn't devised a plan that any then would perish. He has devised a plan that whosoever will may come. And so he knows as he sees the future as well as the past when the appropriate time is and that which he has established. So be patient. Secondly, having established that Jesus Christ is coming, 
then in the doctrinal principles, we raise the question then, and his question that he poses for us is prefaced with a because statement. Because these heavens, because this earth is going to dissipate as a result of God setting them on fire, what sort of person ought we to be? No, it's not ought, it's must. What sort of person must we be? It's must because the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. That is a reality and we have been commissioned to do a work in our day. It's not a salvation issue. It's a priority issue. Temporal versus the eternal. What shall we do? Peter actually poses the question in two distinct areas, behavior and attitude. Now maybe that seems a little backwards. It does to me. Had I been writing it, it would have been attitude and then behavior. (laughs) But he calls to our attention behavior first and then reminds us that it's attitude that dictates that behavior. What sort of, sort of persons ought we to be in holy behavior? And in an attitude which does that, which is pleasing to God. So these phrases are part of the question. What sort of person are we to be in holy behavior and in an attitude which does that, which is pleasing to God? Now this specifics related to this behavior and attitude are addressed to us then in the text beginning at verse 13. But, according to the norms and standards of the promise of Him, we await with expectation heavens new in nature and earth new in nature in the sphere of which continually dwells that which is in conformity to the specifications of the blueprint. Wherefore, you who are loved with a self-sacrificial love as a matter of principle, awaiting with expectations these things, be diligent, making it your purpose to be found by Him in the sphere of peace, spotless and unblemished. That's the homework for this week. It should be the assignment for life. Be diligent, making it your purpose to be found in Him in the sphere of peace, spotless. That means 1 John 1, 9 is going to get some activity this week in your life and unblemished to those who have been born again. He continues in verse 15, And consider the long-suffering of the Lord, salvation, even as indeed our beloved brother Paul, according to the norm and standard of the wisdom given as a matter of principle unto him, wrote in various points of time to you. We 
went through the book of Colossians. We examined that, an, an overview, the abridged version of Ephesians, in an overview of uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's plan for us and uh, the doctrines that we are to respond to daily. Paul wrote in a variety of points concerning these things. And then in verse 16, as also in the sphere of all his epistles, speaking as a matter of principle in the sphere of them concerning these things in which keep on being some things hard to understand which the unlearned and the unstabilized torture by twisting as also the remaining of scriptures to their own loss of well-being. So much false doctrine has come from the established church and uh, uh, much that has been misinterpreted. That's why it's so vital that we document what we see in the Word of God in our interpretation of that and understanding of that. What does the text actually say? What is the context in which it's said? How does our understanding of that harmonize with every other passage of Scripture in the Word of God? Because it will not be contradictory to other passages if our understanding is correct. Peter continued, You, therefore, those of you who are loved with a self-sacrificial love, that's that agape love, a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues regardless of the response. We as born-again children of God have experienced the love of God and as a result of our new birth, we're now capable of that kind of love. But it's a matter of prioritizing our attitude and our behavior with others. So he says in verse 18, But grow in the sphere of grace, and knowledge from the source of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him belongs the glory both now and into the day of the age. We all then need a reality check every once in a while to see if we are in fact on track with God, His plan for the earth, His plan for our lives and to see if our priorities are in line with his priorities. The text in Second Peter emphasizes that although the present heavens and earth are going to be burned up, there is a future. And because there is a future beyond this present earth, there is a calling upon every individual who professes faith in Jesus Christ. We have a mission as well as a future. The psalmist in Psalm 102 verse 25 says, Of old 
Thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. This new heaven and this new earth were promised, as I mentioned earlier, by Christ himself, but they were documented in the Old Testament before the incarnation with the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Isaiah 65, 17 said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Isaiah continued, for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Righteousness will be the norm and the standard in this new heaven and in the new earth. In the sphere of the present heaven and the present earth, we've identified the three aspects of God's will being operative. But in this new heaven and new earth, it will only be the directive and overruling will of God. That will prohibit a reoccurrence of the rebellion that occurred in heaven and will guarantee us peace throughout eternity. God will be the eternal king and he will rule over this new earth. The church and his bride will dwell with him and they will be dwelling, we will be dwelling in the new Jerusalem and ruling and reigning with Christ. I received a email this week from one of my nephews that lives up in Alaska. And uh, I have to respond every every time he asks for something and I provide it, then I have to follow that up with a whole line of answers to a whole lot more questions that he has. And he said Rule, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Over who? <laughs> and apparently yet, though I gave him the study on dispensations, he hasn't gotten it down yet, that the church is the bride of Christ. and That the Old Testament saints and the millennial saints, they are all going to be on the new earth, but we are going to be in the new Jerusalem with Christ. And we will be ruling with him as the bride of Christ. Christ is the king of kings and we will rule and reign with him. But of course, he wants documentation for that as well, which shows that I've made some progress anyway with that. Believers from all the other ages will live here upon the earth. And they will live not this earth, but the new earth, and they will live in a perfect environment. There will be no old sin nature in the new heaven and the new earth. 
free will has been surrendered, and thus there'll be no sin. And in light of these facts, then I ask you this morning with Peter, what sort of person ought we to be? Although God is going to destroy these heavens and this earth, He made provisions for those that are in the sphere of His love. And that would include everyone who's called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We are placed in that circle. We become the dot. Christ becomes the circle. He owns us and we belong to Him. And it's irrevocable as the circle can't be broken We are forever in Christ. We are in that sphere of love. Had some folks, couple that were members of our congregation in Sacramento, and when you would call their phone, if they were home and answered the phone, it was, hello, God loves you, and so do I. If you weren't home, the answer phone would answer God loves you, and so do I. And so in one spur of rebelliousness one day, I simply said, this is Satan calling. I'm glad to hear that God loves me with a self-sacrificial love and will not hold me responsible for my decisions. I got a telephone call. back. What was that all about? Well... We have to operate in the sphere of God's love. God's love has been provided for everyone, but not everyone is in that sphere of love. They've been loved enough to have the opportunity to get there, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, agape love means a self-sacrificial love that continues to love regardless of the response. If the unbeliever were in that sphere, he could continue in his sin. But it's when we call upon the name of Christ that we're in that sphere of love. It's then that we are loved with a self-sacrificial love. It was that kind of love that prompted the giving, the sending, and the turning his own back upon his son as he died upon the cross. It prompted, it was prompted by that love, but it's only those who call upon the name of the Lord that are moved into that sphere and accept that. So we are to operate in the sphere of peace day by day, remembering that it begins with peace with God. And as we establish peace with God, we are then able to receive peace from God. And the peace of God sustains us in our daily walk. This then will result in our being found spotless. We are going to be maintaining fellowship with Him when we fail to conform to His plan and sin. We acknowledge that and then we move on because we have been born a second time. We have a spiritual birth, an eternal life. We're able to function and operate in a world that has gone bad. As citizens of the kingdom of God, then we look forward to the replacing of these heavens and this earth. And yet we recognize we have been left here on earth 
to be ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, are we ambassadors for Christ. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's our business. We're sojourners, foreigners, not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals in order to do the business of the king. And in doing that, we are to utilize the spiritual gifting. We're to recognize the spiritual appointments and we are to live out our design. We note as well then that God's purpose in His long suffering is to accomplish salvation. And Paul validates this in his epistles on the basis of the wisdom that had been given to him. And the things that Paul has written are hard to understand by those who are unlearned, by those who have not been properly taught. Martin Luther said, Paul got it right, but James messed up. The book of James, Martin Luther said, should not be in the Bible because it contradicts the writings of Paul. No, it doesn't contradict the writings of Paul. It was the past training and and uh, education uh, through the church that Martin Luther failed to understand the importance uh, of of the Greek and the Hebrew to straighten some of those things out. It was through his moving away from the Latin into the Greek that caused him to see that salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. But he needed to follow those principles and get on through there because when James says, what he said, Paul said, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, and yet James comes along and says, no, we have to do, we have to work. No, James never said we had to work. James said we had to be in possession of the work. Well, when you call upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, you began, you come into possession of the work that Christ did on the cross. Christ did the work. We have it as a result of our accepting it. Yes, there are some difficult passages. I would be quick to tell Peter I have more trouble with his writing than I do Paul. But maybe it's because I think more Paulinian than I do Peter. The background, the, my personal experience, my makeup uh, is more in conformity with the way Paul wrote. Paul wrote in, in the street language of the day. Uh, he didn't try to brandish uh, theological terms. Uh, Peter throws some of those theological terms in. Both of them, I understand, wrote under the inspiration of God and as the Holy Spirit moved them. But all Scripture is given to us for understanding. We may need to explore it a little further uh, from one passage to another. Verse 17 of our text in Second Peter Chapter 3 says, Being led away by the air of lawlessness, you fall from your own stability. Wisdom and knowledge, the Bible says, are the stability of our times. Our instability is a result 
of a lack of our wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is having the facts. Wisdom is understanding how they relate to your life and to your circumstance. And God has provided both. Guarding ourselves in our daily walk is participatory. That is, we have a partner to assist us in not getting off the right path. The Holy Spirit is our partner. Knowledge and wisdom are based on the Word of God and partner with us to keep us on the right path, on the straight and the narrow. Isaiah 33, 6, Wisdom and knowledge of the stability of thy times needs to be one of those favorite verses that come to mind to motivate us to information and knowledge and to understanding and application in our lives. We are to grow in the grace of God and in the knowledge that comes from the source of our Lord Jesus Christ. Any glory that we can achieve belongs to Him because we operate on His resources and simply become a vessel through which He can minister to others. But of course, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, with the heart man believes under righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This week, as last week, God has booked some appointments for us. We need to be sensitive to that. That appointment may not always be with someone else. It might be with Him. But we need to be alert spiritually to what's taking place day by day, how it conforms to the Word, how we understand it and how we then can play a part in doing the business of the king. So we, I intend at this point that as we finalize these things, we're going to go back to the first verse in this epistle of Peter. Now Peter writes some things that are hard to understand, but we'll work our way through them because God has given us guidance through His Holy Spirit as it relates to application, application, application. And of course it begins with understanding and understanding. So we'll get that. That's the direction we plan to go.